Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish-tech-news. I'm here today with Doug Biren, who is a freelance journalist and is also a first writer, a first-time writer with his with his book, In Search of Mycotopia. How are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I think the first question we should ask is, could you explain your background a bit for us? Sure, uh, well, I'm a freelance writer predominantly over the last like 10 years or so. Um, and, you know, started with an emphasis on like technology and media. And I think I was sort of looking for hope in subjects like, uh, you know, emerging technologies and, networks and, and uh, you know, some, some solutions that we might find in, in innovation. But uh, I quickly got pretty disillusioned with that. And through just some personal changes in life, became more attuned to nature. And my writing started to focus more on food and land. And uh, soon after that transition happened, I got introduced to some mushroom people uh, up north in, in New York, where I live and uh you know cultivators and and people who go out into the woods and forage for them and and know a lot about them and so that introduction started me down the path of learning about fungi and ultimately writing about them but also um started a a transition in my own life toward just really connecting with nature and making that sort of the priority Um, and also where i'm I'm looking for hope these days in uh in ways that i think i was trying to find in in technology before so that leads me on to my next question. What, uh, what led to your uh, interest in fungi and mushrooms? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty unexpected. Um, I had always been pretty interested in nature in a, in a, in a superficial sense, I think. Um, I would spend a lot of time you know, outside and, and poking around under you know, trees and bushes and stuff, looking at animals um, and mushrooms, but I never really noticed them before. They were there. And they were just something that I was not supposed to touch or eat, you know. And uh, again, it was just through this process of which, which is a, there's a lot to tell about just how the transition happened in my life. But um, the shorter version of it is that I, I ended up visiting with people who were connected to, to fungi and spent a lot of time in the woods and they took me out into the woods. And I, this is documented in the book uh, at the beginning. Um, I, I sort of got my eyes, as they say. Um, I, I, I suddenly noticed that there were mushrooms everywhere, and mushrooms that I had never even uh, imagined could exist. Like there are things called artist conchs, which you can draw on with your finger on their their underbellies. And lion's mane was growing out of a tree, which is this del- delicious um, medicinal mushroom. And um, so there was this sense of abundance and and a new layer uh, of the natural world that was made of. Uh, that I was made aware of. And beyond the mushrooms, it started me thinking about ecology and the connections uh, among all the organisms and and forests and in ecosystems throughout the planet. Fungi are fundamental to a lot of the functioning of of ecosystems. Um, And so it it just, it it hit me at the right time to to start exploring um, ecology and nature. Um, And I think like I mentioned before, with my interest in technology and networks and stuff, there was a sort of easy um, in there. And honestly, now that I'm, I'm kind of recounting it, I'm, I'm remembering that uh, really I should say that it started with a, a lecture by Paul Stamets um, 
about six, seven years ago that I saw uh, called How Mushrooms, Six Ways Mushrooms Will Save the World. And it, um, it has a sort of technological aspect to it. And I think that's how it hooked me because he, it's a TED talk, you know, and he gives like all of these amazing examples of how fungi can degrade pollutants and provide food based on agricultural waste and medicine and, and all these applications, applied mycology, they call it. Um, so I think that was the first sort of uh, strike on my consciousness. And then it was going into the woods and being introduced to them in their element that really um, yeah, opened my eyes and, and changed the course of my life to where it is now. And that's perfect. And I just want to ask as well. Uh, so, what led to the inspiration behind your book, In Search of Micro In Search of Microtopia? What led to uh, the actual uh, interest of the book? Yeah. Uh, well, the book itself came about through again an unexpected um, course because I was I was actually invited to propose the book based on some articles I'd written. Um, an editor at Chelsea Green uh, reached out to me and said that they thought there might be a, a book in some of the the stories I was telling. Um, I was documenting what's called the radical mycology um, group out here in, in the US. Um, they're based on the West Coast. And I had written about this mushroom cultivator that I mentioned earlier in Rochester, Olga, uh, at Smugtown Mushrooms. Um, and there was this, I think, uh, just vibe or uh, sense of, of a sort of anarchist, um, countercultural, anti capitalist, you know, like the headline for that piece that I wrote. Um, uh, based on that trip that I took upstate was called something like this anti-capitalist mushroom company needs a business plan and uh, but they don't want one and that just subject was really alluring to me because I was also becoming pretty disillusioned with some of the status quo and the systems that we we rely on to that are that are unsustainable and, and extractive and inequitable um, and it turns out that a lot of people in in these spaces around mushrooms for some reason are hyper-conscious of that as well, and are actually organizing with an, in, in an effort to build alternatives and to, to uplift marginalized voices and to, um, you know, propose circular economies, locally, locally bound economies, things like that, stuff that really resonated with me. And uh, so I think that came through in the articles I was writing, and the publisher uh, invited me to propose the book, said they thought they saw a book in it, I agreed, and uh, that was that. It took about two and a half years from that point on to finish the book. And within your research of the book, how have you found behaviors towards fungi? And how have you found the behaviors uh, towards fungi and mushrooms have changed in recent years? Um, I, I could only speak for the sort of interval that I've been, you know, conscious of, um, which is basically the last seven or so years. Um, and even in that time, I think it's it's changed pretty dramatically. Um, and I, I can I, I know through conversations with a lot of people that you know in the years before that it was changing too. So this has been a kind of gradual thing. I mean, it wasn't until 19, 1969, I think, that the fungi were actually categorized as their own kingdom of life. Um, so they're relatively new to general consciousness anyway. They've been marginalized for a long time, and even among the sciences. Um, but in the public consciousness, I think they're, they're starting to penetrate. Um, I think in part because they're unusual and they're alluring and, and things, and, and they're so photogenic, they do great on social media. Um, and you've got figures like Paul Stamets who are proposing all of these really exciting and uh, enticing possibilities about what we might achieve in partnership with fungi. Um, but I think at the, 
bottom line of it all is actually a, a widening recognition that things need to change at some level. And fungi are just so wrapped up in literal physical processes of renewal of degrading old structures and, and detritus and turning it into the makings of new life, but also as like symbols um, and as connectors and also as you know features in culture um, around the world, um, spiritual practices and or in the case of the UK, they're often sort of associated with uh, decay and, and death and devilry even, like fairy rings or I believe uh, considered like gates to hell, but they're really just a ring of mycelium growing mushrooms. And uh, so I feel like there's a lot of legacy kind of uh, connotation around fungi that's becoming, uh, that's being undone. And, and I think it's related to the moment we're living in and, and also all of the, the possibilities that fungi offer as food, as a basis of new materials and manufacturing methods, as metaphors and all that. And this is stuff that I, I get into in the book. But I would say it's changed dramatically and, and, and people are, are maybe, if not embracing, I'm certainly becoming more curious. I've noticed that definitely. And more than anything, just conscious of them, aware of them, they notice them. And I, I it's funny to, to become you know fascinated by them and then instantly among your friends you are the mushroom guy you know or the mushroom person and then they all start sending you pictures because then they all start noticing it and so it's a real network effect kind of thing um, i think that's happening all over okay um well speaking of that um how do you think fungi mushrooms have um contributed contributed to rise in citizen journalism um, citizen citizen science sorry yeah. my, my apologies uh, it's, I mean, they are, they are central, I think, to a lot of really interesting um, innovation happening around citizen science. I mean, there are people um, advancing like genetic techniques in their basement to determine how to breed mushrooms that no one uh, in the U.S. at least was able to cultivate before a few years ago. And these are people who are like 25 years old um, and didn't graduate high school, you know, and, and, um, and then also there's a lasting kind of uh, again, a legacy of, of citizen science when it comes to mycology uh, as it relates to institutional science, because you got places like Kew Botanical Gardens or, um, you know, natural history museums out here um, that have programs of collecting fungi and documenting them, but they can't really do it without the help of the public because there just aren't resources available to do like mass um, collection efforts. And fungi themselves aren't as easy to document as plants or animals because they're, they hide and they don't all produce mushrooms. In fact, most of them don't. Um, and they can only be discovered through genetic techniques now. And, and so um, they are ripe for discovery. And as technology is advancing, you know, genetic sequencers that you can literally carry in your pocket, obviously microscopes and things like that, the internet um, for, you know, crowdsourcing uh, dis uh, diversity maps and, and identifications and stuff like that. Uh, they are really hitting at a sweet spot technologically, I think, that um, is, is making them a rich front in citizen science. There's fascinating stuff happening all over the place when it comes to citizen science, but fungi have this added, I think, benefit of being really alluring and mysterious. And so people who have no interest otherwise in doing science or, or you know, being naturalists will still find themselves taking pictures of, of mushrooms and posting them to iNaturalist or a site like that. And that is now being fed into like databases for universities and, and other collection efforts. And so um, I guess the shorter version of it is to say that the distinction between an amateur and a 
professional science is, is becoming a little more fuzzy. That's not to de denigrate the work of, of committed professional scientists. I mean, that's, uh, you know, important and, and not to be uh, diminished, but um, neither is, I think, the contribution of people who are doing it out of passion. I mean, amateur is literally to do something out of love. And I think that's a pretty good motivation. You was you just mentioned how uh, how documenting fungi and mushrooms can be can be difficult. Um, how did you go about researching for this book? Mostly talking to people. I mean, reading obviously, and, and a lot of time spent on the internet and on social media because it turns out that's where a lot of um, interesting conversations are happening around this stuff. But um, I was lucky in the, in that this book, the reporting for it took place between about early 2019 to early, or I should say mid 2018 to early 2020. So right when COVID hit, I was finishing up my reporting trips and all of the travels that I, I did. And I went to 13 states here. I went to the UK, Canada, Ecuador. Um, none of that would have really been possible. And it was only through traveling, meeting people, being introduced to things that I wouldn't have thought to even look into um, just through conversations and, and observation that uh, really shaped and, and the book reflects that because it, it, it is basically an, an account of my travels through this world over those two years and um, you know I tried to shape it into a narrative but um, it's really about this milieu or this this scene <laughs> and this strange distributed uh, community that's forming um, certainly through the U.S., which is where my focus is, but also beyond, um, and how there are characteristics shared no matter where you go. So I would say literally just moving around and talking to people was really how I got the best sense of what it was I was talking about and uh, how to articulate it. Yeah, and you were saying that you went to places such as Ecuador and things and uh, things of that nature. Uh, how do places like like Ecuador see fungi and mushrooms? Like, is it similar to like the UK and the US, or is it uh, different the way they see it? Yeah, it's hard for me to comment on like the the cultural outlook um, in Ecuador because um, I, I just didn't. I mean, I don't speak Spanish fluently enough to have uh, to have really asked the questions that would have given me insight onto, into that. But the reason I was there was because they have in the place I was visiting Sucumbios. Uh, a massive um, contamination uh, problem uh, left by formerly Texaco, now uh, Chevron. Um, it's something like 16 billion uh, gallons of um, wastewater and, and millions of gallons of, of oil. Um, and like I mentioned before, fungi are um, being investigated for their ability to, to break down hydrocarbons and, and to help clean up oil spills and things like that. And so I was down there to visit people who had um, originally come down to do that kind of work, but ended up becoming a bit disillusioned, it seemed to me, by the just the institutional strictures on that sort of thing. Like this is one of the poorest regions in a, in a poor country, um, relatively speaking. And they aren't likely to be able to afford the sorts of interventions at the scales that would be necessary to really put that technology, that mycotechnology to work in a useful way. And so the people I was talking to were much more interested in building a sort of social basis for assessing soil health and um, 
you know, fungi would play a role in that, but they, they ended up just growing mushrooms as medicine for cancer patients because there are highly elevated cancer rates in the midst of the, the contamination there. And so um, my sense of like their, their view of fungi was, was that it might be kind of similar. Like they, they, they were not necessarily super conscious of them or, or very interested in them. Um, and, and I say that just because the person I was visiting uh, part of her work was was educating people on basic fungi and, and that you could cook them and eat them and how to do that. Here are some recipes. It's another food resource for an area where food security is an issue, especially considering the contamination of the land. Um, so I know that's kind of a meandering answer, but to me, it it, it loops around to the, the basic theme of the book, which is that it's not really about the mushrooms. It's about these bigger picture questions of like, you know, the ecology and the, the policies that have led to um, situations people now hope to find solutions to through fungi and other means. So um, yeah, Ecuador is a, a prime example of that, at least. Yeah. And speaking about educating people, uh, what more could be done to, you know, educate people on fungi and its benefits? Um, there are many resources available, um, including in the UK. There are a lot of um, fungus groups and, and foray uh, organizations or organizations that go out on forays, the term used term of art among mycophiles for going into the woods and looking for mushrooms. Um, so there are many opportunities. If you look for a, a, a group in your area, um, I think there's even fungus day in the UK, which uh, unfortunately I haven't been able to catch. Um, and that that's a great way to just start talking to people about it because it's, it's, that, like I've said before, it, it, the best way to learn about them is to be among people who know them and um, you end up helping each other learn. And it's a great way to spend a day as well. The other way uh, that I would recommend is to uh, start growing them. Um, there are a lot of, I don't know what the picture is like in the UK, but out here, there are a lot of resources for buying kind of do it yourself or grow it at home kits, which is basically just a brick of like substrate with fungus inoculated into it. And then you just keep it moist and in, you know, a cool area of the apartment or house or wherever and mushrooms will sprout out. And it's sort of like a house plant that you can eat. And um, I think it's a great way to get introduced to them as just organisms. They're, they're not like, I mean, they are mold in our bread box. They are the mushrooms we see in the woods, but they're, they're a living thing and they have a, a life cycle and a way of being that when you spend time in space with them, really, uh, it really makes that connect in a way that's that's less abstract. Um, so yeah, those would be my two suggestions. Other than just you know reading every book you can get your hands on, um, there are lots of books, thankfully, uh, that explore various aspects of fungi that are great for beginners and also for people who already know a thing or two. Mine is more oriented toward the beginner, I would say. Okay, and and finally, where can people find out more about you and the book? Oh uh, well, I might. I'm, I'm easy to find on Twitter at Doug Beerend. Um, I'm on Instagram too at Doug Beerend, and uh, I have a website dougbeerend.com, um, which is uh, basically just where I put old articles. And uh, uh, there's not much going on there at the moment. Um, so the first two are probably the best place to reach me. And I'm also easy to to find if you just type my name into Google and you want to send me a message. Hopefully, a nice one. <laughs> Again, thank you for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on 
Twitter at Irish underscore tech news on Facebook facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News on LinkedIn linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news on Instagram instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE and on TikTok tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News